This episode is brought to you by the Denver Public Library. This season is all about women writers who are working to create community impact. We think elevating the work of these writers is so important that we've partnered with one of our favorite community resources, our local library system, Denver Public Library to be exact. And whether you're in Denver or someplace else, the library wants you to know that they're still here providing vital community resources. The Denver Public Library works to foster a culture of exploration, innovation, and forward thinking, and is focused on creating a strong community where everyone thrives. Head over to denverlibrary.org to access the latest virtual events and resources and find some of the great books by many of the talented authors we've had the pleasure of featuring this season. Hey, it's Tangie Renee. Before we get to the show, I'm popping in to quickly ask for a huge favor. If you're a fan of this show, we could really use your support. We have a big goal of growing our listenership this season, and we could only do it with your help please take a few seconds to subscribe to this podcast. Look at your phone right now and hit subscribe. Next, if you're listening on an app like Apple Podcasts that allows you to leave a review, please give us a five-star review. Reviews actually go a really long way in helping our show get discovered by new listeners. And if you want to go the extra mile, leave us a written review in addition to the five stars. That helps even more. This show has grown because of the incredible support of our listeners, and we have an ambitious goal of getting to our next 10,000 downloads this season. We can't reach our goal without your help, so please subscribe, rate this podcast, and don't forget to keep sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. Just hit share from wherever you're listening. That's it. Easy peasy. Thanks in advance for all your support. Smooches! Welcome back, my fellow inspiration junkies. This is Tangia Renee, and you're listening to That's What She Did podcast. This is season six, and it's episode eight. That means we only have two episodes left before this season comes to a close. But don't worry, I'm not going to leave you hanging. We have a couple of great interviews coming down the pipeline for you. One of those, the one I want to introduce you to now, is our latest author, Veena Rao. She was born and raised in India, but calls Atlanta home. Veena is a journalist by profession, and she is the founding editor and publisher of NRI Pulse, a popular Indian American newspaper. And although her day job involves news reports, interviews, and meeting press deadlines, she devotes her spare time to creative writing and long walks in the woods. Her debut novel, Purple Lotus, is the winner of the She Writes Press and Spark Press Towards Equity in Publishing Contest. It really is a beautiful book, and I'm so excited to introduce you to Vina and her writing today. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of That's What She Did podcast. I'm so happy to be able to introduce you to an incredible journalist and author of her debut novel called Purple Lotus. Please welcome Vina Rao. Vina, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. We're so excited to have you. I got the copy of your book for the publisher. I've been reading it, and it's so beautifully written. It's just like... It doesn't feel like a novel. It feels like poetry to me. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Glad you liked it. 
Yes, yes. So we're going to talk about the book. But before we get to the book, you're a journalist. We've had several journalists on the show. I always love talking to journalists. I think journalists are such good thinkers. And so I like the way you, as a trained journalist, sort of break down topics and think about them in really interesting ways. So I'm excited to have you for that alone, let alone Purple Lotus. (laughs) Thank you. So Vina, start us off by telling us how you came to the work of writing, specifically being a journalist. So I think we'll have to start from uh, my childhood. Sure. I grew up in a coastal Indian city in the south of India, where we had easy access to American and British novels. So I fell in love with the world of writing very young. And um, when I was 12, I declared to the world that I would grow up to become a famous writer. So, and that's when I started writing detective novels based on the Hardy Boys and the Nancy Drew books for my Indian classmates to read during lunch hour. So um, it was my love of writing that got me interested in journalism. So I grew up to become a journalist. And then in 2001, we moved to the United States. A few years later, well, I did work at community publications for a few years. And then in 2005, I decided that I would launch a newspaper of my own. And sitting in my living room, it seemed like a very glamorous idea. I only had a grand plan and no business plan, just a grand idea, no business plan, no capital, just, you know, a basic deep feeling that I could do it. And since I was a journalist, I did have the skill sets and I was prepared to work hard, of course. And I did have beginner's luck. The newspaper went really well for a while until recession hit. And that's when, you know, I had to really run the newspaper on a very small budget, a shoestring budget for several years. I did all the reporting, news gathering, editing, layout, design, and even the newspaper delivery. We had about 70 locations even back then. So I went from location to location delivering newspapers. It took me three days, four days sometimes, but uh, it was worth it. To me, it was worth it, even though it meant making so many personal sacrifices. And then since I was consumed with the challenges of running a newspaper, it took me a while to make the time to get back to my first love, which was a love of writing, creative writing. And so I started working on Purple Lotus about 10 years ago. And this has been a 10 year long journey. Wow. So like you, I used to love the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. I read all of their books when I was a kid. And I think it's why I'm such a fan of true crime shows now. I think it started with Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. I love true crime stories, yes. I can't help it. It started there and it never went away. And now true crime is everywhere. It's on podcasts, it's on TV, it's everywhere. So I'm always like, what new show is coming out? Let me watch it. (laughs) watching one on Netflix a couple of nights ago. I think it was called True American Crime or something like that. Yes, I've seen this one. It's good. (laughs) Yes, I'm addicted. So that's an interesting story. So you started your own paper, were producing the paper and delivering the paper yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I started. How did you find any time to write creatively? I did not. In fact, you know, I only started to work on Purple Lotus 10 years ago, which was in 2010, or 2000, uh, yeah, 2009. So until then, I had even stopped reading fiction, you know, until I started writing fiction. 
I barely made it to, uh, you know, I was able to read about one or two books in an entire year. So uh, learning to write creatively again, that was a very long, very messy journey where I had to learn to write as the story evolved. Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of uh, reading then. I read passages over and over again just to see how a story is constructed, how emotions are conveyed and all those things. So it was a very long, intense journey. So how did it feel to finally bring Purple Lotus to the world and be able to put it out? Oh, you know, I won this fabulous contest by, that's hosted by my fabulous publisher, She Writes Press, every year. It's called the Step Contest, which is open to women of color. And so I was, one day I was just scrolling through their social media and I came across this contest and I entered the contest without expecting any positive outcome because I had seen enough rejections till then. So imagine my joy and shock when I was informed by my trailblazing publisher that I had won the contest. I think it was the most joyful moment of my life. And of course, now that the book, My Baby is Out in the World, it's a, I'm on top of the world. <laughs> Well, it's a lovely book. I've really enjoyed reading it. I mean, I think especially for a debut novel, it feels like such a rich story. Like it's really, I just thought it was so beautiful. And hearing you talk about your own story of coming to the U.S. from mm -hmm. India, starting your business, and you settled in Atlanta like the main character That's of the book, correct? That's correct. Yes. So I thought, I do want to get into Purple Lotus because I think it's such a worthy read. Listeners, you know, have requested more and more authors to be on the show. So I want to give them what they want. <laughs> and I did after hearing you tell your story a bit that at least the beginning stages, maybe a little bit of your main character, Tara, in the mm -hmm. book are similar to yours. So was your life the inspiration for this book? Well, actually, when I started to write Purple Lotus, I sat with a blank page. I had no story. And then, uh, you know, I put, a, I put myself on a train, my six-year-old self on a train. And that was a journey my family actually made in 1975. But by the second chapter, my protagonist Tara's life evolved on its own. And, it, you know, she charted her own course in life. She, you know, decided to just have a life of her own. But there are certain things in Purple Lotus that are inspired from my own life. Family honor, shame, so much of shame instilled in us to just break free and try to have control over your life all those factors and also certain things like the effect of mental illness on a family. That's also I've seen from up close because one of my uncles was schizophrenic. So I've seen how it impacts the amount of shame, the stigma that a family goes through. And that's what I wanted to convey in the book. But also I think my work as a, as a journalist has impacted all those overarching themes of the book, patriarchy, domestic violence, mm -hmm. uh, mental health, uh, family honor, shame, and the right to self-determination. I think these are conversations conversations that we need to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so all of those themes, I thought, really came through very clearly in the writing. And, you know, you say that when you first started writing, you looked at a blank page and you didn't have a story yet. So how did you get the story? Because these are big issues. These are big social issues that we're, we're still grappling with today. There are no hard and fast answers to any of these things. So how did you develop this story when you first look at a page and there is no story and then yeah. bring it to this place of, of you're intersecting with all of these big social issues? 
Right. Yeah. Once I put myself, my six-year-old self on the train, I guess it just evolved, you know, the creative juices just got flowing. And also because I'm a journalist and all these social issues mattered to me, it just fell in place. I think, you know, my time had come. (laughs) So everything just fell into place, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, in reading the book, I don't know if this is maybe the best comparison, but it it made me think a lot about the movie, The Color Purple. I felt that there were some similarities in maybe it's the style of storytelling, where Mm -hmm. it's very much about the relationships of the individual characters. Mm -hmm. And through those relationships, these themes come out about domestic violence and PTSD and finding the power of your own voice. Right. If you mean The Color Purple by Alice Walker, I'm ashamed to say I haven't read it yet. Well, I haven't read it either. I've only seen the movie. (laughs) (laughs) She's a Southern author. I think she's also from Atlanta. I'm not sure. But it's on my TBR list. (laughs) The next time I come on your show, I'll be able to respond to that. (laughs) Glad you see the similarity. Yeah, I mean, I thought maybe, again, it's just the style of storytelling. The Color Purple is one of my favorite movies of Mm -hmm. all time. So I was like, oh, I see what's happening here. I get this. This is really good storytelling. (laughs) Thank you. You know, one of the main themes, as you allude to in the book, is around domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you don't take it on as a simple topic. It's very nuanced. It's very complicated Mm -hmm. in the way that you talk about it. And I think what creates additional complication is the fact that this story is very much an immigrant experience Mm -hmm. in the United States. So what was it about the theme of domestic violence that felt so pressing? How was that complicated by the immigrant experience? That's a great question. I see incidents of domestic violence in my day job all the time, in my job as a journalist. I think domestic violence is a universal You know, it happens everywhere, transcends race and culture. And at the same time, there are some cultural distinctions that determine how much freedom a victim has to change her situation. In patriarchal cultures, such as the one I grew up in, a woman is told that uh, she has no choice but to try harder to make her husband happy or just to make peace with her circumstances. So, and if she does manage to leave, if she finds the courage to leave, she's told that she cannot remarry, she cannot look for love. So her two choices are stay on in an abusive relationship or live alone for the rest of your life, which is not her choice, you know. This is what the community, the society tells her. So I believe my novel takes a universal theme and seeks to tell it from the unique perspective of an Indian immigrant. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's there's some additional hurdles or struggles that an Indian American woman might have to contend with being in the United States away from her home and having to figure out what to do in a situation like that? Yes, because for one thing, because of the culture she comes from, she may not be comfortable talking about her situation, right? She will try to hide. She might try to hide it because there's such a deep sense of shame or stigma that's instilled in her. Uh, She might not reach out for help. And then there are other legal issues, like if she's on a dependent visa, for instance, then uh, the only choice would be to go back. And believe me, going back is not any better than staying on in an abusive relationship because there's going to be so much pressure from the community. You know, there's so much stigma and shame that is going to affect your life. So her option is to stay on 
And then, you know, it could be the issue of custody, you know, losing custody of her children. So all these matters make it difficult for a woman to seek help. So, and I think that's where society, community, the local community needs to step in, reach out, encourage uh, if you know somebody in the community who you think is a victim of domestic violence, you know, reach out to her, try to help, encourage her to talk to local organizations that uh, work with victims of domestic violence. And I think it should, you know, I think the United States should make it easier for uh, victims of uh, violence to seek asylum. Yeah, I mean... Domestic violence specifically, I guess I'm a little embarrassed to say, is not an issue I think a lot about, which speaks to what my life looks like, right? It's it's not something that I have to contend with nice. personally and never have or something that anybody close to me that has dealt with that I'm aware of, at least. And it didn't become a topic that I was really thinking about with any meaning until the era of COVID happened. So everybody went on lockdown and all of a sudden I was seeing these Twitter feeds and things on social media about, you know, what are we going to do to help all of these people in domestic violence situations? And I was like, well, I never actually thought about it. Hey there, my fellow inspiration junkies. Do you miss browsing shelves for books, movies, and music? Denver Public Library is still here for you, offering these great resources both online and curbside. Tell Denver Public Library what you like to read or what you're craving, and they'll send you a whole entire personalized reading list with five to eight customized recommendations just for you. You can even place holds of up to 10 items that you can pick up curbside at most locations. How's that for convenience? Need a library card? No worries. Register for an e-card today and immediately access hundreds of e-media resources like e-books, audiobooks, music, movies, and so much more. And yes, it's all still free. I'm not ashamed to admit that I am totally a library junkie. You can call me a nerd if you want to, honey. I'll take it. Denver Public Library branches will be reopening soon, so make sure you check out denverlibrary.org for the latest info, and don't forget to follow Denver Public Library on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Smooches! Listener perks alert! I'm excited to tell you about Libro FM. It lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same prices as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. For every purchase you make on Libro FM, a local bookstore of your choosing gets half the profits. It's a super simple way to shop local right from your own phone. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and you don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of That's What She Did podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Who doesn't love a BOGO? I know I do. 
go to Libro FM. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and enter code she did. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Now, how's that for a listener perk? So have you seen that be a problem specifically in immigrant communities in the United States for Indian American folks? And how are we dealing with that? Once again, I think, yes, I'm sure that has, you know, being stuck with an abuser and not have, you know, any outlet, you're not being able to even go out or, you know, talk to a friend, that must be terrible. But you also have no choice, no recourse. I mean, what do you do, right? Yeah, you cannot go back to your country. For a long, there are no flights <laughs> to your country. You know, your choices are so limited. So, yeah, I'm, I work with a local organization called Raksha, and um, that works with victims of domestic violence. And, um, yeah, I hear from, you know, I hear about such cases of being on the rise during the pandemic. And in Purple Lotus, your main character, Tara, is she has to find her way and navigate this domestic violence situation. So she, you see her grappling with how to be safe, in a sense. Like, how does she keep herself okay while living up to her family obligations, while trying to find who she is in the middle of all of this. And then there's, then you have the mental health theme, right? That comes in and you see her grappling with PTSD later, you know, down the road. I thought it was a really interesting intersection because I think a lot of times when we talk about an issue like domestic violence, we often don't deal with the aftermath of it. And so that was something that was really clear. What did writing about this issue in this way teach you about PTSD or mental health in the family in general? I think it has taught me that there's hope in the end, you know, there's hope even if you feel inadequate or powerless or fearful. Tara grapples with fear of abandonment and it has stayed, it's so deep rooted, it's a childhood fear that has stayed with her all her life. But there is a way, I think, not maybe not for all of us, but there is a way to overcome, to, you know, maybe it's not possible for everybody to take control of their lives. Uh, Not every victim can, but you know, you can always reach out, try to reach out, create a support system. And that's what it's taught me, I think. And I'm hoping, I can tell you what I can hope for. I hope uh, readers will understand and empathize with victims of abuse and uh, mental illness, and also understand that some women do not have the choices that some other women have. You know, in some communities, uh, victims don't have the choices that other women have. And that's what I hope my book, it will encourage such conversations. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that comes through pretty clear in the story is, as you mentioned, the theme of patriarchy and how it's this sort of unmovable, unseeable force that our main character has to contend with. Mm-hmm. It's this pressure, this constant pressure. I would describe it as a constant pressure that she's under. What did you want readers to take away from that? Well, you know, I come from a patriarchal community, so this is something I know so well. I've seen it in my own family. You know, when my ex-husband and I split a long time ago, but it was such a shameful thing that I had to keep it a secret. I had to keep it under wraps for many years because it was so shameful to everybody. So other than my immediate family and close friends here, nobody in the community knew it because there was such a deep sense of shame. And I'm not sure I'm answering your question. 
So by making the theme of patriarchy so present, what did you want readers to maybe learn from that or take away? The primary reason of eliminating this side of patriarchal uh, communities is so readers empathize with abusers who come from such communities. They try to understand why a woman would put up with so much pressure from her family. I mean, it might seem like parents are the villains in this, right? But I don't see it that way because I come from that, you know, I come from a community. My parents would react the same way that Tara's parents react because, you know, they would have to face the extended family there, the community there, and they would have to face so much gossip in the community. So I wanted to highlight all these issues, these complicated issues that for an average American reader, you know, it would be something they could learn from. Yeah, no, I get that. I agree a little bit about <laughs> Tara's parents, but also coming from an American perspective, right? That they feel like in certain instances, her parents feel like the villains here. To give our readers context without giving away too much of the story, the main character, Tara, comes to the United States to live in Atlanta for an arranged marriage. And she's hopeful about this, it seems like, that, like, you know, this is the way things are, and she's, like, hopeful this is going to work out. Long story short, it doesn't really work out. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. But So I understand they're the villains here. But I also get what you're saying, that they're sort of carrying on the cultural tradition not necessarily attempting to oppress her in any way. I did think it was really interesting that it was a good display of how patriarchy plays out in different ways in different cultures. It's a very different style of patriarchy than I think the average American woman would be accustomed to. Yes, absolutely. And that's what I wanted to, you know, highlight. So people can understand where this woman comes from. They can understand her choices, her life choices. You know, a lot of people tell me they found Tara frustrating because, you know, she chooses to go back to the husband without revealing too much. Am I revealing too much? I don't think so. I think that part of it was sort of what you hear as the typical steps of someone who's in a domestic violence situation. I think I could be totally wrong about this, but I think the statistic, at least here in the U.S., is that the average person goes back to their abusive spouse like six times or something like that. So that wasn't surprising to me. It's frustrating, I think, as a reader, but it wasn't surprising. Okay. I'm glad you say that. You know, as I was querying, when I was in the process of querying, that's what I heard very often from literary agents. They kept saying, you know, she's weak, she's frustrating. I mean, they did not understand where she was coming from or her choices at all. Well, I'm glad you did, uh, even though you did think it was frustrating, right? In moments, I think it's frustrating because I think it's, you care about the character. So you don't want to see them in this situation that is harming them. It's just like if this were a real person and Tara were my friend, Mm -hmm. I would be very frustrated with her if I knew that her husband had been abusing her and she went back to him. But Mm -hmm. I also think, you know, if I really think about it, I also think that maybe that's part of the stigma of being in an abusive relationship. You know, the woman might be portrayed one way in Indian culture, but I think in American culture, she's portrayed as being weak. Yes. As not being able to make good decisions. Yes. As somehow wanting it because she keeps going back. Right. So I felt like it was kind of in line with what the statistics say. Statistics about? Domestic violence victims. 
but also what choices you must understand that Tara has grown up being told. She's come from a community that says she cannot, she's never dated, okay? Mm -hmm. She's never dated, she's never been with another man. So this is the only man she pins all her hopes with. So, and also what choice did she have? She couldn't have gone back. That would have made her life even more miserable. And I think she's steadily gaining strength through the novel, right? Mm -hmm. Steadily gaining strength. And I think she has a very strong core. Towards the end, she shows extraordinary courage. So... No, I agree with that. It was, you know, when you're a reader, as a reader, you're observing the story. You're not part of the story. So it's easy to become frustrated or angry with the character, even when you see them trying their best. (laughs) You know, especially if you get sort of emotionally invested in who this character is. And I think with Tara, it was really easy to be invested in what happened to her. So from one perspective, yes, there are moments where it's frustrating to watch her go back to her abusive partner. But I also think you're absolutely right. She All along, she had a very strong core and she was fighting her way through it the only way she kind of knew how. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad, you know, you felt that way. It was a very, I just thought she was a very soulful character. A lot of nuance, a lot of texture about her. So I appreciated that. One of the things that is, well, not one of the things, maybe the the main theme of the entire novel is this idea of self-actualization, of having autonomy over oneself and being able to make one's own decisions and really harnessing the power of your own voice. Right, and saying what you need to say and doing what you need to do. Why was it so important for that theme to be the overarching, maybe, message of the book? Well, because that's, you know, that's what we're working towards, right? We are working towards a society where there's no domestic violence, that a woman comes to realize that self-love is more important than latching on or finding your source of strength through your husband or another person, Any, it could be any person or your parents or anybody. You know, like um, Tara says, one of the quotes, my favorite quotes from the movie is, all of the universe is inside you. To rule yourself is to rule the universe. So you know, self-love is so important. It'll give you the strength, the courage to uh, work your way through your problems. And I think that's very important to me personally. And I think that has been the trajectory of uh, my life story. So it was very important for me to put that out in a book. It definitely came through. Job done. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely did. And I thought it was, as soon as it was clear to me that that was the overarching message behind the book, I was really excited to have you on the show because I started this podcast to amplify the voices of women who are overlooked by mainstream culture most of the time, right? Because those were the stories that I was most interested in. I am interested in the terrors of the world. I'm not so interested in whatever the latest celebrity person is doing. I don't care. I don't care how many times they've been married or the weird names of their children or where they vacation or anything. Like, I don't care. That's wonderful. More powerful. <laughs> I was interested in making sure that aspect of your work got shared. And, and one of the things we're always interested in is, is how do we help empower more women specifically to harness the power of their voices? When you think of all the ways it's possible to do that, what do you see as something any woman can do right now? She's got a story to tell to learn how to harness that power and tell that story. 
in any field or in writing? In general, whatever general. comes to mind. <laughs> Just believe in yourself. Believe, have childlike faith in whatever it is that you excel in, you know, art or anything, any way you want to express yourself, a new job maybe. So just have a childlike belief that you can do it. You can do it. I can give you my own example. For the longest time in my life, I used to speak very little, just a word or two. Perhaps because a large part of my life was spent in silence, I'm not very good with verbal communication. Even now, I prefer writing to speaking. So, you know, sometimes I have the imposter syndrome when I'm asked to speak. <laughs> but it's possible to convert your weakness to your strength. It is possible. Just believe, have a childlike belief that you can do it and work at it. Work hard, persevere, have patience, have infinite patience. You can do it. Have infinite patience with yourself? Yes. And with the world. For example, you know, writing this book took me 10 years. Sometimes it felt easier to just give up. But uh, a little voice told me, oh, you have no choice. You have to get back and do it. So just have a childlike faith that one day it's going to work out and keep going. Were you able to maintain that childlike faith through that 10-year process of writing? No. <laughs> <laughs> There were days when I did not. I wanted to just give it up. It was just easier to just give it up, right? But then the next day, yeah, that voice told me, no, uh, get back and do it. <laughs> because that's what my 12-year-old self declared to the world that mm -hmm. I'm going to book. And uh, that kept me going. Have faith in yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to is having some faith in yourself. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. Well, Vina, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the book and I can't wait to give away this copy of the book to one of our incredible listeners. So folks, if you have not signed up on our website yet to be entered to win this book and several others, we're giving away all throughout the season, head over to that's what she did podcast.com, get your name entered, and we are giving them away at random. You also have some opportunities to win them over social media. So make sure you're following us on the social places so you have a chance to win. Thanks again so much, Vina. I really loved Purple Lotus and I can't wait to share it. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I enjoyed talking to you. Definitely my pleasure. For our listeners' information, where would you like to send them to be able to get their hands on the book and learn more about you? My website is Vina's Pulse, which is B-E-E-N-A-P-U-L-S-E.com. And the book is for sale on your website, right? I think I saw it there. No, but I have links to, you know, local bookstores, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. So great. So check out the book, Purple Lotus, debut novel by Vina Rao. You won't regret it. I really do. For those of you that are looking for a frame of reference, like what is this book like? If you like the color purple, this is, I think, a similar storytelling style. Some of the themes are a little bit similar to the way that story is told. If you like the color purple, I'm pretty sure you're going to like Purple Lotus. So check it out. You guys know what to do. If you haven't hit subscribe button yet on this show, I don't know what you're waiting for. That's how you get all the good stuff ahead of time before anyone else. So hit subscribe. Make sure you continue to share this show with your friends. Let them know what you're listening to. Share these books, share these authors, share these titles with them. We have grown to a global audience simply because of your share. So thank you so much for your loyal listenership. We know that you could spend your time anywhere else, but you choose to spend it with us every week. And for that, Heartfelt, bottom of my heart, I'll love you forever. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next week. Until then, we out.